You know, it's a very difficult thing we are trying to do. Uh, we're trying to carry on evangelistic work. We're trying to run this base of testimony here. We're trying to promote uh, evangelism and missionary work around the world. And it's not easy. It's not especially easy in these days. A great deal of sale resistance is being created by the devil against the propagation of the gospel today. More and more, his satanic majesty is lining up the forces of evil inside of the churches and outside the churches against the propagation of the gospel. It's quite difficult unless you dilute it, unless you polish it up a little and uh, give it uh, folks in a sweetened sort of form. Uh, they oppose it. And if the devil has to take it, he takes it in diluted form. You know, the devil, rather there wouldn't be any gospel proclaimed, but if you're going to proclaim it, he'd like you to dilute it all you can. That's his method of operation. As I've said so many times, uh, if he can stop you, he'll stop you. If he can't stop you, he'll hinder you. I remember years ago uh, when there were prospects of a great revival in America. That's back before when I was a boy, back before Billy Sunday ever came into fame. And I shall never forget how one day uh, Dr. Torrey told me about something at that time I didn't understand at all. I understand as the years have gone on. Dr. Torrey said that a uh, certain modernistic leader in America, we didn't have much modernism in this country at that time, manipulated for a sort of a substitute evangelistic movement in America to make a pretense of being in line, you see. And Dr. Torres said that was done by the devil to keep me from preaching courageously the gospel that I had been preaching around the world. So you're facing that more and more. I do not know any time, young people, when it takes more character more character to just stay put along the solid, substantial road than right now. And yet, strange to say, whenever you go preach that gospel, it works. I remember when I was up in Alaska recently, first night I was there, on Monday night, didn't start on Sunday night, I preached it in the old time and unadulterated style, and we had as many conversions as they had in the last meeting during the whole campaign that night. I think one more or just one less, I forget which. And in utter astonishment, they said, why, you had as many nights we had in that whole campaign. And that man was such a popular-style fellow. The old-time gospel, undiluted, given straight, like a gentleman ought to give it, appeals to a very substantial type sinner that we need to reach in this day and time. great many of these converts that you're reaching today, you're reaching them in a, with a superficial appeal. And if you have a superficial appeal and preach a superficial gospel, uh, you'll produce a superficial type convert. Now, that's what happened. One thing about the old days, you'd preach to them for about eight or ten days before you'd give the invitation. And uh, you, you had a foundation on which to build your inv invitation. When you had those campaigns, you gave them, you had great results. And you did it in a good, substantial way. So it isn't easy today. But I think that God called us to into existence to keep the emphasis firm, not waver. That's what we're going to do. And I want to ask you preacher boys, I won't get to talk to you, but one time next week, I want to ask you preacher boys, when you go out this summer, boys, do it right or don't do it. Don't dilute it. Don't, don't fall in. I'm so sick and tired of all this cheap stuff. You know, this thing of a fellow come down and say, everybody say amen now. Doesn't mean a thing. First place, it sometimes almost amounts to sacrilege. Well, everybody say amen now. Doesn't mean a thing say amen. Just, it's showmanship. It's a hip who raw nothing. It's sickening and disgusting. And yet it's being put on by folks that don't even stop to think 
of what kind of a superficial situation. You shouldn't say amen unless you mean it. This thing of telling a lot of sinners, everybody say amen. Just say, everybody say amen now. Say amen. Come on, I'll say it again. Didn't say it loud enough that night. Say it again. See? And then, uh, I don't want Bob Jones' boys to be that kind of boys. Then uh, they get out these cheap little choruses. You know, just so cheap. It reminds me of the fellow that uh, was praying one time, a good old countryman. And uh, he, he's praying at the meeting, and he said, oh, God, he said, uh, these folks just do everything bad in this day and time. said, they dance and play cards. And, and said, Lord, they got another terrible sin, too. said, they sing these little, uh, they kind of whistle one of these little popular and good-for-nothing songs. He said, Lord, I couldn't remember the word, but I know you've heard the tune. You'll recognize the tune. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've heard these little silly choruses I'm sick of. I am so sick of them. And I do pray God to help us. You don't have to be highbrow to sing good songs. You don't have to be that. And one of the things you are learning in this school is the uh, dignity of worship. And uh, uh, the dignity of music of the right kind. Not highbrow stuff. Not that kind of cheap stuff. Uh, we're not talking about being highbrow and snooty and dead. Not that. There are no more popular hymns than those old gospel hymns. I told some of the other day, I think I told you, that I, when I was a boy, they may have sung those old songs with wangy voices. I can hear them now. I can see the Adam's apple going up and down on some of those men like an elevator running. <laughs> and they'd sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. You never heard such wang in your life. But, but buddy, believe me, they were singing something. And it did something to the character of those people. It made quality and manhood and character to them. They mounted something. So there they were, singing, singing those old songs. And they'd start them off, no organ, no piano. And some fellow made with a tuning harp and fork, that's all. And he'd start it. And they sang, and they sang good old hymns. Old hymns were great hymns. I remember they began to introduce a little lighter type music. You know, we talk about our intellectuality. Did you know the type music people see and the type shows they enjoy and the type literature they read? All of that reveals the character of a generation. You go down here at the newsstands and watch the magazines pile up and the material that folks are reading. You wonder they're as decent as they are. And you hear the music they sing and all these cheap songs and this crooning business over the radio and all that's a sickness. Listen, let's us have a sort of dignity. We owe it to Jesus Christ. He's a great God. He's a great Savior. Uh, you know, uh, you don't have to be dead and formal, not that, but let's preserve a sort of a dignity when you go out in the world for God. And be a dignified, straight-shooting preacher. I don't mean dignified in the sense that you're cold and dead, not that. But, you know, keep your ministry on a high plane and keep your testimony on a high plane. There'll always be a place for folks like that. The other superficial tide may come in and go out, but there's always a place for God's substantial people. They wear, they last. But the ones that had the greatest showmanship have died the fastest. The ones that plodded along to a good substantial job were the ones that lasted. The evangelists are the greatest showmen. Do you know there never has been an evangelist in this country that lasted, that didn't have something to it? Old Bill Sunday was a great preacher. Sam Jones was a great preacher. Moody was a great preacher. Don't ever discount Moody's preacher. He was a great preacher. Those men had a quality in that message, and they lived and accomplished things for God. Now let us be faithful, God. Let's keep our standards.
You know, I'm so glad don't have any jazz music around here. I'm so glad. Listen, young people. That's not just purely accidental. It's a basis of a Christian testimony we're trying to give in the world in this superficial age in which we live. All right, now I've said that. I'll read you a few verses. And I won't, won't get to the message I'm sure. Brethren. That's addressed to Christians. If you find the word brethren used in the New Testament, the writer's talking to Christians. Brethren. Now he's talking to you. If you're a Christian, you're in all this. Brethren. If a man be overtaken the fault, gee, which is spiritual, restore such an one. But remember, you that are spiritual, not a Pharisee. A lot of people around this country talking about the faults of other Christian people, and they magnify their faults, and talk about their faults, and criticize their faults, when the ones that are doing it are not spiritual. He didn't say, you old Pharisees that don't live it yourself, that's so cold and technically dead, restore them. You can't restore anybody. You have nothing to restore them to. You know, I, I get so tired of some of these Pharisee uh, professing technical fundamental Christians in America. You, you know, if you haven't any fervency of spirit, there's something wrong with your orthodoxy. Uh, you know, dead orthodoxy is a greater hindrance to real Christian program than some of the modernism in this country. I told somebody the other day, talking about a certain theological seminary, said, you know, they uh, have certain, a little modernism in that seminary. I said, I know it. I know it. And I said, but you know something funny? I said, the boys that have gone from Bob Jones University to that seminary have preserved their evangelistic zeal more than some of them that went to some of these half-splitting technical fundamental seminaries in this country. Because our boys that went there were indoctrinated to the fundamentals of the faith and could stand on their feet and they knew what they were hearing. And they didn't take all the fire out of them. And I know one or two uh, seminaries in this country uh, that takes the fire out. The first thing they do is to put the fire out and they get you. You know, these fellas, if you have no zeal, no zeal, no fervency. People say zeal without knowledge. Yes, you shouldn't have zeal without knowledge. But if you have the right kind of zeal, you'll get the right kind of knowledge. A man whose zeal is genuine and real always gets the right kind of knowledge if it's possible. I told the missionaries in Japan the other day, told a group about 250 of them. I told you about them. They want you to sit down and not do anything except follow up, but there's nothing to follow up. And I said to these fellows, they ought to learn the language, but a fellow with a passion for souls would have a passion to learn the language because he'll want to know the language. He'd be so eager to know it because he wants to preach the gospel. And if you have the right kind of wholesome Christian zeal, you'll seek knowledge. You know, uh, the early church had zeal. If there's no zeal in Christianity, Christianity dies. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our business. Now, you should have some zeal. And if you have the right kind of zeal, it is real zeal if you don't seek knowledge. You know, a fellow that wants, that loves a girl zealously, uh, he'll try to find a way to get her. A man that's got something he wants to sell, really has a zeal for saving, he'll seek knowledge on salesmanship. A man with a Christian passion will seek a method of finding how to uh, go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. Don't, don't, don't discount zeal. God save us uh, from that cold deadness. And I've said it many a time, you'd rather have zeal without knowledge than knowledge without zeal. If he doesn't watch out, we'll have more difficult time getting zeal than a man with zeal has for getting knowledge. Seems to work that way. You know, these folks just want to uh, say hallelujah all the time. Hallelujah all the time. I remember one time I was conducting a revival meeting and gave the invitation. And calling people front to front, and I was trying to explain it. And just as I was giving the invitation, a woman out there began to shout. 
There wasn't any shouting done. She ought to have been praying. Whenever you see a, a, something like that, there's no sense in it. She said, Hallelujah! Well, we're trying to get sinners to listen to a people. Anybody that hinders sinners from hearing the gospel are not led of the Holy Ghost. There's a shouting time if you want to shout, but that wasn't a shouting time. That wasn't zeal. That wasn't the kind of zeal I'm talking about. You know, uh, if she'd had real Christian zeal, she'd have been praying. She wouldn't have been standing back there shouting and breaking up my meat. Now, if she'd have seen a lot of them saying, she'd have said, Hallelujah, all right. But Hallelujah, time hadn't come. They hadn't repented yet. She's saying hallelujah while I was trying to keep them going to hell. Listen, if you have a balanced, sane, sensible, real, honest-to-goodness Christian zeal, you'll be all right. It'll settle everything else. Let's us be sensible. One thing about coming to this school, you rub elbows all these different Christians. I've told you many a time I go to town, and when I get to that town, the best man in that town will be a Calvinist. Listen, the holiest man ever stood on the platform at Bob Jones University was a Calvinist. I didn't follow him in some of his extreme Calvinists. But he's the holiest man ever walked on the platform at Bob Jones University. I felt like a guilty sinner to be near him. And I go to another town, I meet another man that's a different type. He doesn't look at things that way. But uh, he's the best man. One place you go, best man will be up. Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or something else. Listen, the difference between sensible, sane, consecrated, spirit-led Christians is not in the heart, it's in the head. And yet folks are fighting about the difference that separates us in the head. Have any trouble? Get your heart right. You'll know quality when you see it. You may say, I don't understand this thing. Don't see how he sees that. It looks like he'd have more sense than that, doesn't it? But sure does love my Lord. You know, you've got folks in this country saying, Why are you going to Bob Jones University down there? Yeah. Well, what do they believe down there? Believe in our special interpretation? Well, they believe in your Savior if you have a Savior. They believe in the blood that cleanses from sin. You know, some people are much more interested in naming the baby than they are having the baby. <laughs> it's nice to decide about a name for it. If you don't call somebody's baby eradication, they rather wouldn't have anything. If you name somebody's baby uh, suppression, They'll disinherit it. The always raring and ranting and fussing and acting the fool about what the baby's name. Baby can be pretty, attractive, beautiful, sweet, lovely, nice, charming, angelic. They name right. They didn't name the baby right. She call it this. But if it's a baby, it's a baby. If it's good, it's good. Nice, it's nice. Sweet, it's sweet. Oh, we are such fools. We Christians don't have much sense. We're just a bunch of boobs, most of us. You know, Jesus said, looked around. I must have broke his heart. So all those other folks getting together. 
He said, the children of this world are wiser in that generation than the children of life. They're so much smarter, so wise. We Christians, we are split on the dot over an eye. It should be over one millionth part of an inch to the left. Why, you know, I've been cussed by the wholeness people because it didn't go as far as they went. And the Calvinists, some of them jumped on me because I went at all with them. And I've been going through all these years. But I've known some wholeness people that need an extra blessing. <laughs> they didn't have it. And I've known some Calvinists that I wish they'd have got a second one. Listen, Christian, young people, listen. You Bob Jones boys and girls, when you get out in the world, you move around with God's people with a brotherly, sweet, sisterly Christian attitude. We haven't got too many in the family anyhow. You know, our family's a small family, comparatively speaking. We got a lot of folks that have our names, but they're not our crowd. Modernists are getting awfully strong. Great many of them in this country. Protestant evangelical Christians are not very many. We need them all. We ought not be fussed at each other. And yet we are pestering each other and picking on each other and backbiting each other and fussed about each other. About nothing. I know a fellow in this country, a fundamentalist. He reviewed my book of sermons, preached at the arena in Chicago. And I preached one on lot in that book that's so dramatic I hardly hesitated to put it in the book. I knew that some of those fundamentalists had read in the book uh, that thinks you ought not to have a drama of any kind. Where they ever got the idea, I don't think you ought to let the devil have a drama. The greatest dramatic book ever written on earth is the book of Job. The devil wasn't the author of drama. He's caused a lot of tragedy in the world, but he's not the author of drama. And they let the devil take it over, like they take over art and music and everything else. And all the instruments in the world. Some of our fundamentalists went back on them when the devil got them. That's what the devil wanted them to do. Take him up. So this fellow reviewed my book. And he said he was surprised, utterly surprised, that a man that could preach that sermon, the one I was almost hesitating to put in the book because it's so dramatic, that he was surprised a man that could preach that sermon would found a school that stood for drama. Didn't belong to the book at all. But you'd have to put in his review to get him to get in there. You can put him anywhere. And if he is on his way after a soul and crossed a dramatic trail, he'd skip that trail and hold his nose and pass on. Stop a little while, wonder whether he should step over and not go get the center. But he said, uh, I wrote the guy, I said, uh, funny thing about you. <laughs> you said the best sermon in the book was the dramatic sermon I had stayed to print. It's a little too dramatic even for me. But you hesitate to print it. <laughs> listen, listen. 
Isn't that something? It wouldn't make any difference if there's a hundred million souls saved on this campus a year. You say William Shakespeare, and he'll take the cover and say, let them go. You can't convert too many for me. And all the strife and divisions and all of it's not built upon fundamental principles. Built upon most of it human prejudices that separate us from them. Brethren, we folks in the Lord, we folks bound to Jesus Christ. And when you go out of here, I'll never be satisfied if any of you preacher boys go kicking somebody around that loves the Lord. If he believes the Bible's the word of God and believes in the deity of Christ, the atoning vicarious blood atonement. And believes in the resurrection, believes in salvation by grace through faith, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And walks out and witnesses for Jesus Christ and turns his back on the world. And you ever kick him around, I'll have no respect for you. You are God's minister to minister to all the saints, wherever they are. Let's us keep this thing balanced. Brethren, ye that are spiritual, not you who are Pharisees. Ye that are spiritual, restore such an one. How? In the spirit of meekness. Not holier than thou. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You may have a boy sometime that'll need restoration too. You may have a lover that'll need to be restored. This this doesn't mean that you condone what he's done. It's one thing to restore somebody, it's another thing to condone what somebody's done. A judge can sit on the bench as a judge and sentence a man to the electric chair and still restore him. Doesn't mean you're sob sister. You're just in the way you look at things. Think I told you about that judge out in Mississippi years ago uh, that sat there, uh, uh, that lawyer, prosecuting attorney, when the lawyer on the other side said, I understand this man is a very spiritual big church member. He's asking you to send this fellow to jail. Penitentiary. <laughs> Thought he knew something about mercy. This fellow got up and said, Your Honor, I believe in mercy. I believe in grace that saves. But the God of mercy is also a God of justice. And God, who was just, let his son bear my sin and his body on a cross so he could be a merciful God and a just God and save me. And a juror began to cry in the box. And that you're always saved right there crying, trusted Jesus Christ. So I never heard the gospel before like that, got hold of. You don't have to be a soft sister. You know, people say to me, Bob Jones, you're an evangelist. Thought you were in the business of helping people. I am. But when you get to be a founder of a school, chair of the board, you get to be president of the school as Bob Junior is. Uh, you are not in the role of the evangelist when you sit down at the chairman of a committee. You're in the role of a man that has judicial responsibilities. It's just as wicked in God's sight for you to keep somebody in Bob Jones University that ought to go home. As it is to send somebody home that ought not to be sent. You don't have to be soft. 
First two or three years in the history of this school, I had the hardest time in my life because I had an evangelistic slam. Every time anybody did wrong, I'd put my arm around and get him right, see, and keep him out to hurt somebody else. You know, I wish some of you students had some sense enough to know that. If you take money from this school to help pay your expenses in this school, and are a paid employee of this institution, even for a part of your scholarship. And you know of violations of rules and regulations of this school. You are going to refuse to cooperate with administration in enforcing rules. You are scuttling the ship on which you have a free ride. Yet folks say, I don't believe in telling on people. The philosophy of the underworld, that's a gangster Costello Dillinger business. It's the underworld stuff. Shoot you if you tell on me because we are crime criminals and lawbreakers and gamblers and crooks. Not Christian. Such a funny idea. Woman wrote us one time and said, I used to wash my little daughter's mouth out because my little daughter told on somebody. <laughs> well, why did she tell? She just told to spite somebody. That's different. That's different. Just told to be a tattletale, that's different. But if she told on somebody because she ought to tell on somebody, that's her Christian duty. Suppose you knew somebody was going to drop a bomb on our soldier boys. Would you say, well, I ain't going to squeal on it. You know, I don't believe in tattling. Listen, you Christian people owe it to God Almighty, you students, to help us preserve this school. That's the reason they school go to hell. That's the reason they get where they have no power. That's where they lose a testimony, little by little, little by little. You know, you've been reading the paper about a school in the South. The last word, then do as you please, live your own life. Nobody should tell a university student to go to class, go as he wants to, doesn't want to, doesn't go, just do as you please. Yeah, they're busted wide open right now. That's a seed of damnation, and it begins by somebody dropping a little seed here and somebody a little seed yonder. And in that school, Grace Livingston Hill told me when she was a girl, she attended it, and they had revivals and led people to Jesus Christ. It's too late to restore that school. There's a remedy for backsliding, but no remedy but judgment for apostasy. The only way on earth you can save a Christian institution, a Christian church, or a Christian school, is to keep it right. You can go on little by little, little by little, until you can't save it. So this restoration business, you might ship a fellow and then... Get him out, John, and put your arm around him and say, now trust God. And if he's the right kind of fellow and gets restored, he'll go away. 
Anybody ever been shipped from this school and went out anywhere and night the school, you just put it down, he wasn't right, ought to been shipped. We shipped one fellow from this school. It's one of the finest fellows ever lived in this world. He said, the best thing ever happened to me. I never was right. Doesn't mean that you're soft, sob sister. Ye the spiritual. Store such a one, the spirit of weakness. You know, value one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. Help each other along. Somebody carrying a load, say, like to have a little lift, brother? <laughs> I told you so many times, you know, that's not the way some people read it. Add to one another's burdens. Add to one another's burdens. Some people read it like that. doesn't say, bear ye one another's burdens. Our Father blesses we go to our classes. Help us do a good work. Lord, we haven't got much time now to get up these lessons for examinations. Help us to be honest in our studies, and then we take the examination to be honest. Lord God, don't let any Christian in this school cheat on any examination. Go to the examination time. Do and catch them, we'll expel them. Not going to have cheats around you. Help these boys and girls to be straight shooters for Almighty God. True to God. True to God. Clean, upright, uncompromising Christian. Help us to be faithful. Help us to preserve the standards of this school, the Christian atmosphere, the fervency of spirit, the high academic standards, sense of reverence. Save us from the little cheapness of the age. Save us from all these experiences they have in other schools where they're breaking up property and doing things like that because they're letting, turn, taking the bridle off of the flesh. Oh, Lord, when we think about how hearts long more and more for the youth of this country. Help us know the devil would do anything he could to trap us out of here. He'd do anything he could to hurt us. He hates this testimony. He hates this school. That's the opposition against it. It's testimony. It's uncompromised. It will not surrender. May it never surrender. Blessed we come to close here. And Lord, may a great spiritual blessing come to our students between now and the last day. Help us all to get so close to God and build up in us an immunity against the temptations of the summer. Give us internal resistance. Something in us that can push the devil away. Help us not to expose ourselves to temptation. Help us to resist the devil. Help us know the Bible says to avoid the appearance of evil. And if we just go out and expose ourselves to temptation deliberately, we've already sinned against God. Because we've not avoided the appearance of evil. Hear us in this prayer and keep us faithful. For Jesus' sake, amen.